Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the earth. Perukabah Bashem Yavaya Shua Hamashiach. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Messiah. And today we are going to read and continue our study from the Gospel according to John, and we're ready for chapter 10. Now, there's a couple of themes. Uh, that's been central through John's gospel that he's focusing on that we've been pointing out through this study. The first one is the deity of Christ, right? Like he's really wanting to drive home, and we see this in almost every single chapter where John takes time to either point out something that is said or whatever to reaffirm this. I mean, his whole gospel starts with this concept. Additionally, we've been pointing out how it seems like most of the stories that John has chosen to tell take place on a biblical feast day. And that's sort of true, and you'll understand what I mean by sort of true, in today's gospel uh, account for chapter 10. This is where we have the disclosure of the good shepherd, where Jesus compares himself to a good shepherd. He reminds us that he is the gate or the doorway into the kingdom of heaven. If you remember earlier, we talked about uh, earlier in the Gospels, he pointed out that he is the ladder uh, that we read about uh, in Genesis with Jacob's ladder. He said, you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, right? He's pointing out over and over the deity of Christ and that Christ is the gate or the door or the bridge or the ladder, whatever symbolism you want to use to get from here and into the kingdom of heaven you have to go through him and so that point continues to be driven home uh, today in chapter 10 uh, let's go ahead and get started i'm going to read from the king james bible might be a couple of mysteries that i revealed to you today uh, that maybe you didn't know before and so i pray you be blessed in the powerful name of jesus let's do this chapter 10 the gospel according to john king james bible Verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth in not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. And leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of a stranger. So please note, he's saying there's only one way, right? The true shepherd enters in through that door. He knows his sheep personally, right? He says he knows them by name. He says, he, To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and he leadeth them out. And so they, the sheep know his voice, and they follow it. They won't follow wrong voices, right? Like, if you truly belong to Jesus, you will follow Jesus. You're not going to follow some 
trail somewhere else. Like, if anything, the sheep flee from a stranger's voice. They only follow the shepherd's voice. Verse 6. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is, he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am a good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so, I, even so know I the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Okay, this is should be painfully obvious to Christians who have hindsight, right? It would have been very confusing uh, for the audience at that time. Jesus is making a point. I'm I'm the one, right? If you go through me. That's how you get saved, and you'll find green pastures. He's like, the, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. And there's been many thieves that come before that are not good shepherds, right? They're imposters. In fact, when things get hard, they won't take care of the sheep. They'll actually flee to save their own lives, right? When the wolf comes to destroy the sheep, the hireling... The person who's just there to take care of the sheep, but he doesn't really have an invested interest in them, doesn't really care about them at the end of the day, he's going to flee. But Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Right? He gives his life for his own, for those who belongs to him. He knows his sheep. He knows them intimately. He knows them by name, and his sheep know him, just as he knows the Father and the Father knows him, right? It's that continuous picture of intimacy between him and the Father and then us and him. And then he points out, uh, which we can understand clearly in hindsight, that uh, it's not going to be just Jews being saved anymore, right? We're bringing in Gentiles. What does he say? Other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, right? He's talking to a Jewish audience. He's saying there's other people, not just you guys that are going to be brought into this. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. What does the Apostle Paul say? There is no longer Jew or Gentile. We're all one under Christ. Either you know Jesus or you don't. Your blood is irrelevant. This is how it's done. You either trust in Jesus and believe upon his name, believe that he is who he says he is, and that he died and paid the price for your sins, and that God rose him up again on the third day, or you don't. There's only one fold. There's only one people. You're either part of those people or you're not. 
and the way you are as if you enter in through the gate. As he's describing. Verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might. I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay down it of myself. I have the power to lay it down and the power to take it again. This commandment I have received from the Father. He's saying, not only do I lay down my life for my sheep, but I do this willingly. This is not happenstance. This is not accident. I have the power and the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. Verse 19. There was division, therefore, again amongst the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, He hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Others said, These are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open up the eyes of the blind? So there's a little bit of division. Some are saying, Okay, this guy is clearly off his rocker. He's mad. He's obviously possessed by a devil. And others are saying, first of all, a devil doesn't speak like this. And secondly, the a devil can't open the eyes of the blind. Like, only divinity can do that. And so there's some back and forth going on. Now, verse 22, we have an interesting statement. Okay? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be Christ, tell us plainly. First thing that people are going to gloss over because they don't understand the Old Testament. They don't understand Hebraic heritage. Some of these basic and important things. However, it says that Jesus went to Jerusalem. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. Remember, we talked about how John keeps focusing these stories around the biblical feast days. Well, the Feast of Dedication is actually not in the Bible, right? Well, so what, what is the Feast of Dedication? We have seven biblical feasts that are commanded in the book of Leviticus and other places. Jesus, according to Paul, is the fulfillment of those feasts. Those feasts were foreshadows pointing us to Messiah, right? Passover. Jesus literally became a sacrificial lamb. And that blood covers us, right? Just like the blood on the doorpost covered the doorpost in the book of Exodus and the death angel passed over them, right? So we are passed over for the wrath and judgment that we deserve as sinners, you have unleavened bread, you have atonement, you know, he's the atonement, all, all these things. We have Sukkot, right, where you dwell with God. Like, all of these point to Jesus, but what is the Feast of Dedication? The Bible goes out of its way to let us know two things, that it was the Feast of Dedication, that Jesus was in Jerusalem, and it was winter. So the Feast of Dedication, let me just give you a little excerpt about what that is. The Feast of Dedication is also known as Hanukkah, right? Which takes place in the winter, right? The Feast of Dedication, or Hanukkah, is a Jewish holiday also known as the Festival of Lights. 
Hanukkah is celebrated during the, during the Hebrew month of Kislev, which is late November or early December, depending on how it plays out that year. Beginning on day 25 of Kislev and continuing for eight days and eight nights. Jewish families gather to say prayers, light candles on a special candabrella, which can be called a menorah. And typically, specially ho- special holiday foods are served, songs are sung, games are played, and gifts are exchanged. So here's just a few takeaway points so you understand what the Feast of Dedication is. The Feast of Dedication is mentioned in the New Testament, Book of John 10, verse 22. We just read it. The story of Hanukkah, which tells the origins of the Feast of Dedication, is recorded in the first book of Maccabees. Alright, hold on a second. The book of Maccabees tells that story where there's this conflict and the Maccabees rise up and kind of save the day and the oil is in the temple burning, but there was only enough for one day, but it burned for eight days. Okay, that story is in the book of Maccabees, which was in the Septuagint, so that would have been the biblical canon of Jesus' day. Okay, that was the popular Greek translation available to people during that time, known as the Septuagint, the book of Maccabees is in there. Likewise, the first English translations of the Bible uh, included the book of Maccabees, including the 1611 King James Bible, which tells the story which is where Hanukkah comes from. Hanukkah is called the Feast of Dedication because it celebrates the Maccabees' victory over the Greek oppression and the rededication of the temple in Jerusalem. A miraculous event occurred during the rededication of the temple when God caused the eternal flame to burn for eight days on one day's worth of oil. To remember this miracle of provision, candles are lightened and burned during the eight days of the Feast of Dedication. So there, my friends, is what the Feast of Dedication is, why it's important. Jesus recognizes it, even though it's not, even though it's not a biblically commanded feast. Which just confirms that the book of Maccabees and that story is likely very true. I mean, obviously, Jews celebrate Hanukkah even today to commemorate this event. Why the books are removed from the canon, your guess is as good as mine. I'm sure some people have got some good arguments. Nonetheless, that's what that is about. And it's an important background to understand. I mean, why would John go out of his way to tell us that it was that time and that it was winter if it wasn't important for us to know. So there you have it. It'll be, uh, we got one more th- controversial thing to talk about. We'll talk about it here in a second. So let's start over verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round to him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. So they're like, all right, stop beating around the bush. Are you the Messiah or are you not? Verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep, as I have said unto you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Boy, that's a comforting verse, isn't it? Jesus says, you guys actually aren't my sheep. Okay? 
and the reason that you're not my sheep is because you don't even you don't know me. You don't even believe what I'm telling you. My sheep hear my voice. They believe me. I give them eternal life, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. They belong to me forever. Verse 29. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So he's saying, uh, if you didn't know, now you know. My father and I are one. And furthermore, my sheep hear my voice. No one can take them out of my hands. And my father, who's greater than all, no one can take them out of his hands either. He's the one that gave them to me to begin with. Verse 31, then Jews took up stones again to stone him. Okay, so he made himself really clear and made himself equal with God. And now they want to throw rocks at him again. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For good works we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. And because thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Okay, so it's very clear to them what he's saying. People say, Did Jesus never claim to be God? Yes, he does. Furthermore, he receives worship. And they are trying to stone him because they also interpret his words as him saying, I'm God. They said, you're a man, but, you're, but you make us yourself God. That's why we're going to stone you. It's blasphemy, they said. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, ye are gods? If he called them gods, and to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say of him whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, Thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God. If I do the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do through ye believe me not, believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me, and I am in him. Therefore they sought to take him, but he escaped from their hands. And he went away again beyond the Jordan, into a place where John first baptized, and there he abode. And many restored unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true. And many believed on him. And that is actually the end of chapter 10, but it's not the end of our discussion. Let's go back to this comment because people have literally formed cults um, and apostate denominations based on a misinterpretation of scripture. When Jesus says, is it not written in the law, I said, ye are gods, little g. People have taken that and they say, see, we're gods. And we're going to be gods and things of that nature. They don't understand that this is actually a slight. Uh, it's an insult. Um, it's, it's, it's in a negative viewpoint. And we understand that because we got to go understand what Jesus is quoting when he says, is it not written, ye are gods? He's referring to Psalm 82. Okay, so let's pull up Psalm 82. It's eight verses. Let's take a quick look. Verse 1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, little g. The Congregation of the Mighty. It's talking about those in high positions. 
They think of themselves gods, right? Look at the leaderships and the leadership around the world today. I mean, they think they are deity. They want to be treated like gods. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, little g. How, and this is what he says to them. Verse 2, how long will you judge unjustly and accept the persons of wicked, Selah? So he's judging amongst the mighty men, amongst the little g gods. And his question for them is, how long are you going to be unjust and continue to accept wickedness? Verse 3, then he gives them a commandment. Do this instead, right? Defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, ye are gods, and all of your children, all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. There's also another viewpoint, but either way, it still is the same attitude. God could be talking to the principalities. Okay? The, Paul tells us about these. They rule over the nations of the world, right? These principalities in the spiritual realm, these powerful spiritual beings, okay? But they're not gods, they're created, okay? So God could be speaking to those principalities and says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty and judges amongst the gods, little g. How long will you judge unjustly, right? I have said you are gods, little g, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So there's two viewpoints here. It could be the principalities, but guess what? You're all still going to go into the lake of fire, just like, like a man and die. Or the most commonly way to interpret this throughout church history is that he's just talking to the magistry. Okay? They think of themselves as gods, so God's like, you know, since you think you're gods, but you're all going to die like men. Let me give you a commentary from uh, from uh, F.B. Meyer. Here's what he says. In the strongest terms known to the Jews, our Lord insisted on his oneness with God, and they understood his claims threatening him with the penalty of blasphemy. This quotation from Psalm 82 I have said you are gods, and of all are the children of the Most High, was originally addressed to the magistrates. Okay? That's who the psalm was originally addressed to. And our Lord argued that if unjust judges were described by this phrase, because they exercised with divine prerogative of judgment, surely his opponents had no right to stone him. When he, as the sent of God, and sanctioned by God's witness in his works, he spoke of himself as the Father's equal and fellow. This is a great, great commentary on this verse. Jesus is taking a verse that was originally addressed to magistrates, judges, leadership, saying, since you think you had divine prerogative of judgment... You know, and 
He's saying that the Pharisees of the day also think of themselves this way. He's saying, since you think that you have the power or the divine prerogative, why are you wanting to stone me when my works demonstrate clearly that I am sent of God? Do you understand what's happening here? It's very, very simple. But people take this down all kinds of trails because they have pet doctrines that they want to believe. Plain and simple. Or we have entire religious cults created around verses like this. F.B. Meyer says, See Zechariah 13.7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn my hand upon the little ones. Philippians 2.6, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. F.B. Meyer is just pointing out the fact that Jesus claimed to be God's equal, Pharisees wanted to stone him for that. But their vindictive hate would brook no parley. And his hour was not yet come. Jesus deemed it better to go beyond the Jordan into hiding until the minute hand should reach the exact figure on the dial. F.B. Myers pointing out the sovereignty of God. They want to stone him, and yet, once again, he just disappears, slips away because it's not his time. There is a time. And it's going to happen exactly on that time, not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. My friends, that is the study for this morning. Hopefully your eyes have been opened to some interesting things. Maybe you learned something that you didn't know before. I pray that it's been a blessing to you. And let's find comfort in this fact, according to the gospel, according to John. If you hear his voice, you are his sheep. Furthermore, you've been given to him by God. Furthermore, no one can take you out of his hand. No one can pluck you out of the hand of God. Jesus says, no one can pluck you out of my hand. And my father, who's above all things, what does he say? My father, which gave them to me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I am my father. One. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Peace and grace be with you all. And until next time, God bless.